Welcome to the West Side Gathering podcast. We appreciate you making time to learn and grow with us. Here you will find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, have a listen. And we're going to jump into some scripture as we often do on a Sunday and uh, just kind of give ourselves some time to learn and grow and be present um, to the scriptures together. And we got, some, we got some guests here around today. One, one is, a, is not a really a guest, they're a homecoming. And Mike and Sue Nardoza are here. Did you guys see them somewhere in the back? Matt, Mike, Sue, we're so grateful to see you. I just saw Mike on the side, and uh, wow, so wonderful. We've been praying for you, and to see you present with us today is so amazing. So you guys who are online have no clue what this is about, but this is just a, a wonderful thing. And so, yeah, so good to see you. What an encouragement to see you guys both here today. Um, and then, surprisingly enough, we have some friends that were part of our church, actually helped us really significantly in getting into this space five years ago and part of our church for several, several years. Terry and Sue Gunter are here from Alberta. And, um, and this fit perfectly into the start of today's message. I had no clue they were going to be here. And when we were negotiating this, um, this space, uh, Terry was on our, our leadership team at the time and helping and as we were talking with the owners and trying to figure things out and sometimes got into some moments of like, what's a fair financial price? Who should pay for what? Terry introduced me to this, this simple illustration of, of a monkey's hand in a jar. And he said, Dave, uh, if you want to get through some of these things uh, in, in just some simple processes, sometimes you just got to let go of the hand, like your hand in the jar. Like you might not get past this discussion um, on this, or maybe you got to let go of something. And it was a really good, good illustration. When you're trying to figure things out sometimes with somebody, and whether it's business or life or whatever, we often want to hold on to things and hold them on super tightly. And remember, Terry gave me that illustration. If you don't know where that's about, it's, it's actually un- it's an unfortunate source. It's, it's actually people trying to trap monkeys, you know, and so they there's, there's this sense of if a monkey gets its hand into something and there's food inside, uh, it will not let go of the food inside. It wants to hold on to it. But the problem is, is that its fist has gotten a little bit larger than the hole opening. So he, you know, the monkey cannot get its hand out. So it's stuck. It's really in a dilemma because in one way, it wants to be free from the jar or whatever you know, object it's put its hand in. But on the other side, it's like it really wants the food right? And so you're kind of stuck. And he wants to eat and live, but his hunger has now gotten him trapped. And unless he lets go of whatever's in there, his hand will always be trapped in that jar. And I I was thinking about that illustration as we jump into this this season um, and uh, this next few series of messages in the next few weeks. And just this question, how many of us feel like our hands are in a jar sometimes holding on to something? We want to be free, we would love to move on, but we're kind of stuck there. And maybe you're holding on to your routines. And you're like, no, 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 I can't let go of this routine. But there's other things that you need to move on to, or maybe even a better step in your life, but you're just holding on to the routine. Maybe there's a false identity that you're holding on to. And you know that by letting it go, you can be free. But there's something comfortable about it. There's something very familiar about it. Maybe it's an addiction. 
Maybe it's some curated reputation that you think you have of yourself or you hope others have of yourself and you're really holding on to it and you know you should let go of that, but you can't and, or you just won't. And it feels at times like we're stuck in a jar and we want to be free, but we won't open our hands and just let go. And, and in theory, this should not happen to people who follow Jesus. This should not happen to Christians, but we, we fall into that trap. Um, so there's no shame in that. And why I say it shouldn't happen to Christians, the Apostle Paul, when he writes to a church uh, in Galatia, he has this very familiar phrase to some maybe, it's, it was for freedom that Christ set us free, no longer to be enslaved or captive to this yoke of slavery. And he wrote to this church, and, and this was just a, a real beautiful kind of succinct line that he had in that letter. And so, although it shouldn't happen to those who are following Jesus because freedom is available, yet, interestingly enough, as we walk with Christ, as we grow in our journey of faith, as we are formed in Him, we often have to pause and say, what are the things in our lives that we are holding on to? And wisely enough, the church, in their vision of discipleship centuries ago, uh, started to include this in the church calendar, this season called Lent, this lead-up to the cross, this lead-up to Jesus dying on the cross, and then Easter weekend where he raises, rises from the dead. And they included Lent in their annual calendar in, in some ways to help us prepare for the cross, to help us prepare for what we celebrate on Good Friday and Easter Sunday, and, and, and really the, the steps of Jesus towards that, but also to help Christ followers deal with, in a more intentional way, anything that is keeping them from the freedom and life that's offered in Jesus, or keeping them from their hand that often gets locked in a jar. Because we can follow Christ, we can really uh, embrace and appreciate the freedom that comes with following Christ, and we just sang about grace, and Dorothy in our prayer time really helped us kind of lean into that theme, but that we, we can sometimes kind of get stuck. And um, I want to jump into a, a portion of Scripture, Mark chapter 8, that I think is super helpful, and the next few weeks, we're going to look at a couple of harder phrases of Jesus, some more difficult phrases of Jesus and this phrase is, is one of them. It's found in here. So you've got your Bibles. You can turn to Mark 8 or, or follow along on the screen and, um, and listen to these, to these words. He, or Jesus, called a crowd, the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wish to come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who want to lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. God, as we just uh, step into this text and a few more today, God. We just invite you to grab hold of our attention. Um, beyond my own words, God, would you speak so deeply into our hearts? And even from now, as some, maybe some of us, including myself, maybe already identifying things where we're, we're holding our hands tightly in that jar, God, would you just speak into those situations, into those areas of our life, God, where you long for something so much better for us? 
Um, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For the next few weeks, um, as we start this season of Lent, we're going to work through some harder phrases of Jesus hovering around these themes of following him and the cross. Um, And we're going to start here today, probably one of the most important ones, because this phrase and this sentence we just read from Jesus is probably one of the ones that reminds us of the tension we feel with our hand in the jar, right? Uh, We want a true life. We want and want to embrace all that God has in store for us. We want to grow in this kind of life, and yet at times we're not willing to give up certain things or certain parts of our life that's often getting in the way. This, this one phrase, here it is in verse 34 and 35, as Jesus calls his disciples in the crowd, he says this to them, right? If anyone wished to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, Those who want to lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. There's a tension there, right? And these are strong words. These are some of the harder words of Jesus. And we're going to look at these over the next few weeks, and particularly this phrase with a couple of others next week as well. But here's these words, deny yourself. That's that's not a fun phrase to hear. (laughs) Deny yourself. Take up your cross. And even if you have a real just surface level understanding of what a cross is, you're like, I don't really want to do that. Follow me doesn't sound so bad, but then when it's prefaced with deny yourself and take up your cross, you're like, oh, okay, that, now you're giving me some adjectives, Jesus. Um, and yet, this is one way that Jesus describes what a disciple of his is. We read in this version, the NRSV, if anyone comes after me, or comes, yeah, comes after me, in the NIV or some other versions that you might read, the phrase is, if you are my disciple, if anyone wants to be my disciple, if anyone wants to or wishes to come after me. In other words, a disciple is one who learns from Jesus, who learns under Jesus, who takes on the way of Jesus, the life of Jesus. And then we see what some might call the fine print at the bottom. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Jesus expands what that might look like right? If you want to save your life, you're likely going to lose it. But if you want, if you're willing to lose your life in me for my sake, for the gospel, you will save it. It feels counterintuitive. But it's this proposition that Jesus gives his disciples at this journey of their growing with him and understanding what it means to follow him, this proposition that something is available to them, that this certain kind of life is available to them, that even though they've been hearing and learning and watching and understanding and experiencing and probably reveling in uh, you know, this, the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the relationship with Jesus, here's Jesus kind of trying to bring them a little bit closer to the core invitation. Here's this certain kind of life available to you. And it's not the kind of life that's to be confused with what's promised on a billboard or halftime show like many of us watched last, last Sunday night uh, or lifestyle magazines or whatever it might be. Because there are certain kinds of life, lives or versions of a life that we're offered or invited into through a whole bunch of things in our culture. We get that. We see that all the time. But this invitation is is different. This invitation is an invitation to real life, to true life. It's not a promised advertisement. It's not a display. It's not some kind of 
dream in the pursuit of happiness to be, you know, something more than we would like to see ourselves as. It's an invitation to real life. In fact, the word life here in the Greek is kind of like the word psyche, you know, where we get the word psychology from. And it's a sense of our identity. Are you willing to lose your identity to gain a true identity? Or do you want to hold on to your identity now and really lose the opportunity to find a new identity, a true identity, the fullness of what it means to be human in Jesus Christ? And Jesus is kind of letting us know this false identity that many of us often, uh, you know, we, we're stuck with. We need to lose it if we want to live into this new identity that comes in Jesus as part of his kingdom, as part of his invitation to us. And this key to gaining this life is giving up the current source of our perceived identities or the current frameworks of how we prop up our lives or live our lives or want to build our lives on, to give them up in a sense. That's the key to gaining what God is offering to us. He's saying this is possible. This is available. This is a sure thing. But you need to be able to be willing to give up what you're building your identity on now if you really want this, if you truly want to be my disciple. And it's interesting because Lent, again, even on a superficial level, you can watch like the movie, the movie called Chocolate. I think it was with Johnny Depp and someone else or there's other, other you know, understandings in pop culture about what Lent is, but even just a, you know, just kind of a superficial look around the internet, you'll know what people do over Lent, and sometimes it's associated with giving something up, right? Like, what am I going to give up for Lent? What are you going to give up for Lent? It's often kind of a question, and um, one of our our team leaders this week, uh, who's a wonderful baker, dropped off like a little Tupperware of sweets, and I was in here, and they left in and said, hey, you know, uh, this is to share, they were very important to say, this is the share with Franca and the kids. I'm like, shoot, I, want to fin- I wanted to finish this. But it was like, so, so there was, there was uh, homemade chocolate cookies with Nutella inside, just to say. And then chocolate chip muffins with, yeah, obviously chocolate chips inside. And then some, like one of my favorites, like kind of a Reese's Pieces kind of thing. And, and then this little note, uh, hope you're not giving up chocolate for Lent. I'm like, well, not today, maybe tomorrow, right? So I'm like, <laughs> and, and so that's the common kind of connection that we have on a popular level just because of Christian history and what we know of, that Lent is associated with giving something up. And the reason why we give something up for Lent, or possibly, it's not a command, it's not a requirement, it's not written in the scripture that from, you know, the early stages of February to, uh, you know, Good Friday, you should give something up. But one of the reasons why the church started to, you know, help people be formed in this way was to remind us that our life is not ultimately fulfilled in chocolate, even those, though that Nutella-filled cookie was absolutely amazing. But obviously that my life is not fulfilled in that cookie or scrolling through Facebook or what's in my bank account, or where I prop up my identity, or what I hope people will see of me or understand of me. Giving up something for Lent is helpful in that way because it reminds me that my life is not ultimately built on these things. And so I can give something up so I can make space for more of what God already has given us or me or you, which is ultimately himself. He's ultimately given us himself. Now, here's where we run into tension 
because we're doers and achievers. And even sometimes we can use religion as a way, and I don't, say, I don't, I don't want to use the, re- the word religion in a bad way because religion is really building my life around something, and if that's a good thing, that's okay. But sometimes we can get religious in such a way, and so we can wrongly assume that giving something up, now I'm going to get something from God. And again, I'm not saying we shouldn't give something up, but I'm saying we can wrongly assume that giving something up, we're going to get something from God, kind of like the sacrificial exchange. I put it kind of like a little bit on the screen. If I give up this, then maybe God's going to give me this, right? If I, if I give up this, God's, you know, Lord, I'll give this up if you give me this, you know? I'll, I'll give up Facebook if you, you know, give me a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you know? I'll give up chocolate if you empower me to be more healthy. Uh, I'll give up my connection to money and I won't think about it as much, but would you just give me this promotion at work? You know, or I'll give up this if you can fix my marriage. And sometimes we play this sacrificial exchange with God, and we can come into a season like this and use these things even under the radar. Maybe, even under, maybe we, we don't want to say them out loud, but in, in our heart of hearts, we're saying, God, if I give this up, you've got to do this for me. And we can really wrongly assume that giving something up, now we're going to get something from God. This is not helpful. This is not how the gospel works. This is not how the good news of God king, God's kingdom breaks into your life and my life. And here's why that's important. And we're going to back up into Mark 8 a little bit, and we're going to realize something super powerful. Because I don't want to, I'm not painting a negative picture of Lent. I'm actually saying we're walking through this. But to right-size our understanding of why we would participate in a season where we relinquish or let go or even um, intentionally reflect on repentance. Or as we read earlier, it's not what we do or give, but that we would have a broken and contrite heart. There's something powerful about that, but it's not only on how we do it, it's why. And I want to back up to to just a few verses earlier in... um, in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And, and it's, it's this. See, Jesus already did this for us. He already showed us. He already gave up his life so we might have life. And before we read that verse, I just want you to think about something. We, before we consider Jesus' invitation to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him, to give up so we can gain, I want us to consider Jesus' initiation Like, Jesus invites us into something, but Jesus already initiated something even more powerful. And it's here in these words, verse 31. Then he, now, just for context and how the story flows, what we read earlier comes after this, all right? So this comes before in the same story. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. This is really important, and it's really jarring, too. First off, Jesus is telling them that he must suffer. 
And in his suffering, he will be rejected by the religious leaders, and he will be killed by the political leaders. He'll be rejected by the religious leaders. He'll be killed by the political leaders. Now, he does mention, and he will rise again. That's a nice little, oh, that's really good. But Peter is like completely, he completely misses that point because he can't, he can't get past the suffering part. Like, Peter did not rebuke Jesus because he said, I'm going to rise from the dead. Peter rebuked Jesus because he said, I must suffer. And so Peter rebukes Jesus. It's a similar word used in the scriptures when you see a reference to rebuking an evil spirit. So, so just so you get this straight, like Jesus, God's son, the Messiah, who Peter will at some point, and I'm thinking with Mark and John and where this fits in, will say, you are the son of God. I recognize who you are. But this is the situation. Here's Jesus. Here's the disciples Jesus has rebuked evil spirits in people. Peter's seen this. Peter rebukes Jesus, that kind of harsh confrontation, because of what Jesus just said. That's pretty significant, right? In Peter's mind, what Jesus just said is pure evil. In Peter's mind, what Jesus just said is totally off the charts. That Jesus would have to suffer he sees no need, no purpose, no good for it at all, and he thinks Jesus is out of his mind. And so he rebukes Jesus. He confronts him. He challenges him. Because in Peter's mind, as a Jew would at that time, messiahs don't lose. Messiahs win. Right? And outside of a few key uh, passages in the prophets, which we do get a sense that Jesus took on to explain his life, like the theme of the suffering servant in Isaiah and others, outside of those key passages, Israel was betting on a home turf victory where God's Messiah and their Messiah would come and provide relief and rescue from their oppressors to destroy evil, to confront injustice, to confront the powers, to free the oppressed. In other words, Messiahs win. Messiah, the Messiah wins. The Messiah doesn't lose. The Messiah lives. The Messiah doesn't die. And Peter is so bothered by this statement by Jesus that he rebukes Jesus. But Jesus in this moment, remember, he comes to teach them another way. Their way is not the full picture. And that's important for us to understand, even as normal followers of Jesus, even for me to understand in my journey. Like, we were actually, just earlier this morning, had a really wonderful time with about eight or ten people in a, in a class exploring what baptism is, and one of the questions came up, like, what happens if during, uh, as I'm a baptized Christian, if I doubt, or this happens, or this happens, or this happens, and it's like, I, I shared just from my own experience, like, I've been following Jesus um, as a baptized believer for 37 years, there has been moments where Jesus still teaches me another way, where I'm still like, oh, I still didn't get it, Jesus. Thank you, you know, because, and here in this moment, Jesus teaches them another way, something new to them, and there's a shift in his teaching, and part, Mark actually says, he began to teach them. He began to teach them. This was like next-level training for Jesus' students, as a rabbi would to his students, as him as Lord and is teaching his disciples. And what is he teaching them? That the Son of Man must suffer. That's really significant because it's not, get this straight, right? It's not that the Son of Man possibly will suffer. It's not that, hey guys, 
As we come to the end of this journey, there's a 60-40 chance, 60-40 split chance that, like, I might not make it out of here. He's not saying that. He's not saying, you know what, there's a slight risk of failure to our mission. (laughs) There's a slight risk of reaction from the crowds. He's not saying that. He says, I'm teaching you something. The Son of Man must suffer. He has to suffer. This is part of God's plan that God's Messiah must experience this. And remember, when he says the Son of Man must suffer, he's not saying, hey, God's, God's human version of his son, because he says man. He's not saying, oh, you know, there's a, there's a divine side to Jesus and a human side to Jesus. We, do, we know that through the creeds and through church history, we say, you know, Jesus was fully man and fully God. When he says son of man, he's not saying the human side of me, you know. No, he's not talking about that, because the son of man does not, is not a reminder of Jesus' humanity. It's a reminder of his identity, in, back in, in uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, this is the most significant uh, descriptions, I think, of the Messiah. And this is what Daniel says in verse 13 of chapter 7. He says, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like who? The Son of Man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, which is this description of a king coming to rule. He approached the Ancient of Days and and was led into his presence, and he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All the nations and all peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So take that description of the Son of Man, and then here's Jesus saying, i got to teach you something. The Son of Man must suffer. The fullness of who Jesus is must suffer. God's representative who would come and rule and reign, who's the Messiah, the Christ, who's not just any anointed person, but when we call Jesus the Christ, we're saying that he is the anointed person, the anointed one of God. That in him, God has become king of God's kingdom. And this is a paradox for Peter. This like flips everything around in his Jewish mind and in his understanding. He's like, how is this possible that God would accomplish his mission to end suffering by suffering himself? I don't get it. Or that the anointed one must be killed at the hands of the unjust and corrupt leaders of our world? Why? Yet Jesus said, he began to teach them, the Son of Man came and must suffer. This just kind of blew their minds that God would confront suffering by suffering himself, that God would confront evil and injustice by dying under the powers of this world that reflect the evil and injustice in it. And while that's so good on its own, why is it so important for us to understand this in the context of Jesus' invitation for us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to follow him, that to gain life, we would lose it, we should lose it. And I think it's partly this. Again, on its own, this is so beautiful and true. But then consider this for a second. Before Jesus asks, right, before Jesus asks his disciples to lose their life, Jesus already tells them, I will lose mine. Before Jesus says, to gain this life, you must lose it. To be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross. Before Jesus invites them 
to this, he says, I, this, is, this is the road that I'm heading towards. I will also lose my life. I'm going before you. I'm trusting God's paradoxal purpose of losing to gain, of dying to live. And that when I do, God will break the power of sin and death and the powers at work in our world that we are so desperate to be freed from. That when he dies, he will be raised and offer all of humanity life and life to the fullest. And so that's, that's the beautiful key here of what's going on here. That's the key purpose, but consider that he's also gone before you. He's also gone before us. He's shown us the way. He's showing us it's worth it. As we read Mark 8 right to the end of the Gospels and we see Jesus go to the cross, we can then recognize, we can only do that in hindsight. In that moment, they, weren't, they, weren't, they didn't have the framework, but we're, we're now reading it in hindsight. We're saying, oh yes, Jesus did go to the cross and this was God's purpose and this is what happened and this is why it happened and he fulfilled his purpose and he showed us the way and he showed us it's worth it. Just, just think of the, the comparisons here. Look what Jesus invites us to, and I'll put this on the screen. Look what Jesus invites us to. Deny yourself, lose your life, take up your cross, yet in losing we gain. Amen. But look what Jesus initiates before that. The Son of Man must suffer, be rejected, and killed. Yet in dying he will be raised. And so Jesus invites us into something that he has already initiated. And I know it's difficult for us and for myself to put myself in kind of this vantage point, but Jesus denies his position, his privilege, his power. And Mark 8 is the beginning of this and the beginning for his disciples to really begin to understand how God will fulfill his plan. And Jesus will slowly more and more relinquish himself as he walks to the cross. And the disciples needed to see that. The disciples needed to understand that. We, you and me, need to see this. It's a layer of discipleship that's so significant that if we miss it, we miss out on the fullness of life that comes with it. If we miss what it means to follow Jesus in this way, we miss also the birth that comes underneath that, the new growth that comes underneath that. And that's why perspective is so important here. Notice how Jesus was, was um, so adamantly responsive to Peter, right? Notice how Jesus, how serious he is about this. Peter rebukes Jesus. Peter tells him he's wrong. We already saw that's a weird situation. And then Jesus rebukes him, but then says, get behind me, Satan. I, don't, I wouldn't want to be called Satan by Jesus. You know, I mean, I, don't, I, wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to be called Satan by you. You know, like someone, I would do something and someone thinks it's so off, off, you know, the path, so off of God's plan, so off of God's perspective that someone says, Dave, I rebuke you, get behind me, Satan. I'm like, whoa, did I, like, is it that bad? Is it that bad that you, like, you're rebuking me and calling me Satan? Like, am I that off the charts from what God is doing? And here, Jesus gets just, his response is so immediate and significant because Peter's understanding was actually contrary to God's will. Peter's understanding of what he thought the Messiah should do and would do and how if he was God, he would make this work was so off 
So it's not that Jesus is shaming him or saying you're a horrible person and blah, 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 and there's no hope for you. He's just like, Peter, you're completely off track here. What you think and how you think God's going to do this is not how God is going to do it. That's, you know, the world might, through even satanic forces, might want to win this way. But this is not how God's kingdom wins. It's different. And Jesus needed to teach them about this purpose, about his suffering, this idea of how God would accomplish his mission to restore humanity, and that letting go of one's life in order to gain true life is something that Jesus would prove to be true and worthwhile. At the cross for all of humanity, but then an invitation for us to follow that example. And I think that the disciples needed to understand the why before he invited them to the how. And I think you and me too, as I read this text, I think I'm so grateful to read what takes place in verse 31 and 33 before I get to this difficult saying of Jesus in verse 34 and 35 because I can step back and say, okay, this is, Jesus has already done this. Jesus has already gone this way. Jesus has gone to the cross. He's not inviting me into something to say, hey, I'm, listen, I'm the Messiah. I'm going to ask you guys to do all the dirty work. Thank you. No. Jesus is like, this is the way I'm walking. This is the path I'm taking. And I think this is why it's important that we don't enter Lent just focusing on the how. Oh, let's relinquish ourselves. Oh, let's, um, you know, be, be repentive. Um, oh, let's give something up. Focusing on the how, like stop this lose this, let go of this, deny this, give this up with this hope of some miraculous victory from God or getting more from God that because I did this, God's going to give me this. And I think if we approach this season in that way, we're going to miss out because it's still then falling on me and this strange perception of some kind of magical exchange that if I do this, God's going to do this. Like if I can force God's hand by giving something up. But how much different would that be if understanding the why that Jesus went before me, that there's true power and life in that path, that when I do consider the things that I'm holding on to in the jar that I then begin to let go of, I can trust, one, Jesus has already done this. The life he wants to give me is already available to me. And, and as I begin to let go and give up, I'm making space for more of what Jesus already has promised me in the cross in the resurrection as we move forward. See, because it's so easy to allow spiritual practices to kind of become like things we do. They are beautiful means of grace that make us more available to what is already possible from God. It's not a God, you can do this if I do this. It's God, I wanna make space to receive more of your grace and understand your good news and gospel even more because of what you've done for me. I was dead in my sins, now I'm alive in Jesus. God, I, I, I wanna experience more of that in you. And so today I wanna invite you to the why. Jesus went before us. He went ahead to suffer. Jesus' path of letting go was his path to the cross. He accomplished life for you through suffering. He went to the cross and through the cross all the way to resurrection. And so if you or I 
are led to let go of something for Lent, go ahead. We'll talk more about the letting go part next week with some other harder sayings of Jesus in this one as well. But today we must at least base our foundation on understanding that Jesus already let go, that he already accomplished something for you. The longing of life that you and I have, he's already accomplished it for us and has it on offer for us and has given it to us on the cross when we embrace him as leader and Lord and Savior. So that when you in your letting go are before the Lord. You're not doing this as a forceful hand for God to do something. You're just saying, God, I am so grateful for what you have already done for me, and you long for me to live life to the fullest. May this season be a season where I recognize these things that I'm holding on to that are actually becoming obstacles to the life you've already went to the cross for for me. I want to let some of that go. I want to let some of these distractions go. I want to let some of these practices go. I want to let some of this thinking go because I so need to make space for what you already have for me. And I think that's so important. So this week, maybe what we can be doing, and as, and as much as it's so great to discern, oh, this thing in my life or that thing in my life or that thing in my life are obstacles, I think it would be so much better if we just take a step back and say, let's dig into what Jesus, understanding what Jesus has already done for us. Let's, let's live in that. Let's dwell in that. Let's immerse ourselves in that so we know the why before we even get to the how. Amen? Let's pray. If you need prayer, as, as I begin to pray, we have a prayer team here on the side. And uh, they're welcome to pray with you just after our gathering. But I just want to invite you into this next moment and... Some of the themes of the songs we sang today are coming to mind. That he is enough. That he is enough. He's Jehovah Jireh, our provider. God has already done his work on the cross in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for you and for me. And just before we close in prayer, if there's someone here today and you don't know Jesus and you have not come to grips with responding to his invitation, he ultimately asks us as we, if we want to be followers of him to let go and follow him to recognize the sin and rebellion and brokenness in our own hearts and to turn and follow him. And maybe today you've come or you're listening online and you feel exactly like that monkey's hand in a jar and you're just holding on to so much, yet you've caught a glimpse of Jesus, you've caught a glimpse of the goodness of his kingdom, and there's something in you that so longs to experience that, but you're still holding on to your own life, to your own sin, to your own brokenness, to your own patterns. And the invitation is to let go of that. To let go of that. To repent and to follow Jesus. And if that's you today, I just want to give you a moment to respond in your heart and maybe indicate to us 
so we can pray for you and follow up with you that you're taking a step with this decision to follow Jesus. Please, if that's you today, please come and talk to us at the end. Let us walk with you. As imperfect as we are, let us walk with you and help us help you just discover more of what it means to know and follow Jesus. God, as some are even in this room or online or just discerning this next step to call your son Jesus Lord, the son of man, not just in a human way, but the one who has all authority, the one who is Lord and King and has dominion over all things. Oh God, I pray that some who are making this decision would recognize um, the invitation to follow him as Lord of their life and Savior and Rescuer and Restorer. As we come into your kingdom, we experience the forgiveness of sin, the restoration of brokenness, the hopeful vision of new life and new creation. So God, I just pray for some who have, are just making a step in this moment today or have been recently, God. Oh God, fill them with your Holy Spirit to know deeply who you are. In Jesus' name. And God, we, we just gladly come to the end of our gathering today and are so grateful um, that Jesus has gone before us. And Lord, if this is a fresh or new or heightened uh, teaching for us, God, as it was for the disciples, we just, we welcome that. Help us to see the beauty and purpose and yet also the difficulty of this path to suffering that Jesus took all the way to the cross. Oh God, but we also want to welcome the truth and the beauty behind it, that this is the paradoxical way of your kingdom to restore the world and to restore every human heart. And so we embrace that. We embrace that. That the gospel is that Jesus came to die for our sins according to the scripture and was buried and was raised to life according to the scriptures. We embrace that, God. And may each of us know the beauty and joy of what's available to us in you. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel comfortable and welcome regardless of your spiritual journey and hope you can grow with us. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. We would love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimo.
If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.